last week, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Guess where we are today? Surprise! We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to pick it up kind of where we left off. Last week, Jesus was talking about how rich people, people that are wealthy, people that don't worry about food in the cupboard, people that don't worry about a car payment, people that have their house paid, whatever, have plenty of cash, your temptation is to not trust in God because you could easily, you're tempt, I'm not saying you do, I'm just saying your temptation is to trust in money, right? Because is money powerful? Yes, man, money is powerful. And last week Jesus was just nailing it on the head for everybody in his audience that didn't worry about where their next meal was coming from. He was saying, do not trust in possessions. Don't be self-satisfied. Trust in the one who gave you the possessions. Now he's going to flip the switch. Now he's going to say, and for those of you that struggle each and every day, just putting food on the table, having clothes to wear, a roof over your head, your temptation isn't to be self-satisfied or to trust in riches. Your temptation is to worry. Have you ever worried? Oh, you know it. People have ulcers because they worry so much. You know what happens to your body when you worry? Oh, stress. You start getting maybe some, some uh, what is it, hydrochloric acid forming in your stomach that's supposed to be breaking down food, but what it's doing, breaking down your stomach lining because you are anxious, you are worried. You, you. And so the basic word that's in, in our text today about not being anxious means to be divided. It's kind of a weird word. I'm going to put this down. I don't need this right now. Uh, it means to be uh, drawn in different directions. So when you hear the word anxious, think about being torn uh, apart because you're focused over here, then you're focused over here, and you're focused over there, and you're worried. You're just worried about everything. Now, our text is actually going to start in what we ended last week with. So you have your Bibles turned to Matthew chapter 20, I mean uh, chapter 6, but we're going to pick it up at verse 4. Remember God... I mean, Jesus said this, you can either worship money or you can worship God. For you rich people out there, that's your choice. You can either trust in your riches, trust in money because it's power. But does money love you back? <laughs> no, money does not love you back. And you can lose money. But God loves you back. So which is the better master? God, you know, that's almost a rhetorical question. Who's going to really take care of you? God. God is the loving master, and he is definitely more powerful than money because God doesn't need money, right? And money is just a tool, but God is loving. And so look at our text. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then jump immediately to verse 25. Forget that they put little verses in. His next very word is, therefore. For this reason, because you have a loving master, because we all want God as our master. Can we agree on that? Yeah, because God is your master and not money, therefore, he says this, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. In the original language, it's a command not to worry. Did you know that? It's not a suggestion. Ah, don't worry about it. 
A lot of people tell you that, right? When something's going on in your life, they say, don't worry about it, Lawrence. It'll all work out. Tammy has accused me of, well, if, if I die before her, she's going to put on my tombstone. Don't worry, honey. It's all, it'll all work out. And, and so, yeah, we say don't. But this is a command. He's telling you as followers of the master, he says, I tell you, do not worry. In fact, that's the very first fill in the blank. And that is, look to the master. Therefore, because God is loving, because God is kind, because God is powerful, he commands us, and, and it's said in a way that, it, it, this is a little more blunt, stop it and don't do it again. Have you ever told your children that? Stop it and don't do it again. Have you ever told your spouse that? Stop it and don't do it again. Police officers probably have told me that. Stop speeding and don't do it again. If there's finality to Jesus' command. He says, stop it, don't do it again. And here's three reasons why we can trust the master. Number one is this. The master owns everything. That's the next fill in the blank. The master owns everything. Now, I grew up in Southern California, and right off the coast of Southern California is this little island called Catalina Island. Ever hear about Catalina Island? Catalina Island is 22 miles long. It's 22 miles from the coast. Great little place. Do you know Wrigley of Wrigley Gum bought that island? Oh, back in like the 1900s, 1920s, 19, whatever, and they filmed movies over there, and they brought some animals over there and just left them, and then they multiplied and took over the island. Kind of crazy. But aren't you impressed if somebody's rich enough to own an island? That's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, you come on over this weekend, Mitch and Victoria. Come over to my island. Would I impress you? I hope I would, you know. God doesn't own an island. He owns everything. Soak that in. Soak that in. He owns all the cattle on all the hills he owns the stars. He owns the moon. Behind it, we, we don't really see the backside of the moon. Maybe there's a nameplate. It just says God. This moon belongs to God. He owns everything. And if he owns everything, and he is good and kind and loving and loves to share, do you think that he won't share with you what he owns? He cares about you. And if he has the power and he owns it he is going to give and to share think of it this way he has the resources to provide for you you, you ever get a loan and people say uh, do you have the ability to pay this loan back do you have the resources and they won't grant you a loan unless they see that you have the resources and the ability to pay back the loan am I right Except for during the aughts, 19, I mean 2007, you could borrow money and you didn't. But that's beside the point. He owns everything. And he has the resources to provide for you. Number two, the master not only owns everything, he controls everything. Now, now catch this. He's not like a pre-programmed computer. But he allows and delegates freedom to make decisions that his will would be done. Do you know if God shuts a door? He shuts a door and nobody's going to open it, right? 
If he opens a door, nobody's going to be able to close it, right? He controls everything. And yet at the same time, he, he allows people to join with him in the decision-making process as his will is carried out. I love for John 3.16, you know it, you've memorized it, I'm glad you have. For God so loved the world that whosoever, God's saving the world, but your part is you get to respond to it, right? You get to make a choice, you get to make a decision about it. And he controls everything. But some people have in their mind that, well, God controls when, when uh, you know, all the babies that are going to die today of malnutrition. God caused that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And they, they, they give God so much control, but don't realize that he has given us decisions to either line up with his will or not line up with his will. And that causes problems. For all of us. Has anybody ever caused you a problem? We all said, yes. Well, was that God's will that you had a problem? Probably not. But we live in a fallen world, and so bad things happen to good people. We've covered that before. But he does control everything to the point where we say, what? Philippians or Romans. God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Or the Philippians passage that we'll get to... In fact, turn, keep your thumb in, in Matthew if you want to. Turn to Philippians. Towards the back of the Bible, go to Philippians chapter 4. I'll get there myself. And it really is about the next fill in the blank. And that is God provides everything for us. I always remember go eat popcorn carefully. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Okay. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice, be happy in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, that you're tempered, that you're okay, you're not freaking out, because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be made known to God. If you've got some issues, talk to God about it. And then look what happens. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it won't make sense to you on paper. He's going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. Why do I have to not worry about anything? Here's that third fill in the blank. The master provides everything. He provides everything. So good. There's two ways to approach your food when you're sitting down at a table. You can say, like Jimmy Stewart, I got this by the sweat of my brow and it's up to me for my provision. I go out and make it happen. I go out and make sure that things click, things are done. Or you have this other attitude that says, thank you, Jesus, for giving me the job that allowed me to provide for my family. I thank you, Jesus, for the neighbor that dropped off the bag of groceries. I thank you that you have been good to me. And you eat not because of the sweat of your brow, although sweat might be involved, but you give credit because... I eat because I'm a child of the king. 
Think about that. Next time you pray for a meal, you bow your head and you say, Lord, I am eating because I am your child. That reinforces that idea, this spiritual truth that God is your provider. And he provides in miraculous ways sometimes. And here's the bottom line out of this first point. God, there's great comfort uh, knowing that God is in control. There's great comfort in that. There's great peace in that. Food, drink, clothing. Jesus will tell us back in our text not to worry. He's going to give us some examples. Money can buy those things, yeah. But isn't life more than food and drink? So let's go back to the text. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Here's the next fill in the blank. He says, look to the master. Then Jesus, and you know, he's teaching on the, a mountainside. I bet you some, some birds start flying by and he just sees the prop. He sees the object lesson and he points. He says, look at the birds. Look to the birds and see the father. Birds are a part of creation. But you're made in his image. You've been given authority to manage creation. You've been given authority to to take care of this earth. And not only that, He has given you the right to become His children through faith in Christ Jesus. Are you worth more than birds? I'm going to now ask you to answer me. Are you worth more than birds? Yeah, you are much more valuable than birds because you're made in the image of God. You represent God here on earth to earth, to creation. You're the pinnacle of his creation. You are incredibly, extremely valuable. When you get something of worth and value, do you take care of it? Yes, God says you are extremely valuable and I'm going to take care of you. Could you imagine buying a Maserati and taking it four-wheeling and get some Arizona pinstriping on it, you know, or New Mexico pinstriping on it, going through the brush, would you be taking care of your Maserati? How many of you know what a Maserati is? Because there's blank stairs across. Okay. You take care of that which is precious to you. God says you are precious to Him. And whether you're rich or poor, He says, I'm going to take care of you. The birds are taken care of. And when you see the birds, you see the Father. Now, I'm going to mess with your mind just a little bit. Not on purpose, but I have to do this because it's important. Here's the next fill in the blank. In His provision, God does His part. Only what He can do. 
Okay, you're like, okay, I understand that. God's going to do only what he can do. He can make the sun rise. He can make it rain. He can make some of these things happen that I don't have any control over. Right? You're all on that page with me. But what about the next slide? God does his part. And then God empowers us to do our part. What he designed us to do. Now, I brought this up as a prop. What is this, Lawrence? It's a remote control. Remote control gives us power at home, right? I mean, we actually call it control, a remote control. Control the channel that's being watched, right? How many of you have one of these? You all have these controls. Do you know there are many things in our life, let me say this again, there are many things in our life that leads us to the wrong conclusion, to the wrong assumption that we are in control. This is one of them. We get this and we think we're in control because we're controlling the TV. You, choo- you chose what you wore to church today, right? Uh, you chose what you had for breakfast this morning, right? You chose to come to church today. You will choose when to go to bed tonight. Uh, You will choose, Brock and Ian, how long you will brush your teeth tonight. You will choose. Mom's not going to be there watching you and timing you. You get to choose. And you will choose if you get out of bed tomorrow. It's holiday. I'm sleeping in. You get to choose that. And see, because we have so many choices, we come under this illusion, and maybe I should call it a delusion, that we are actually in control of our own lives. When you really aren't in control. Um, And when you feel like, okay, the remote's not working anymore in my life, at work, at school, in my finances, you're losing control in your choices, you suddenly realize what? Go, I need to manipulate the situation. Or you begin to worry. How am I going to fix this? How am I going to solve this problem? What am I going to do? Now, let's examine this remote again for just a moment. You use it to to choose which channel you're going to watch. It's a choice, not a control. What? What? There's a difference between choice and control. This is a decision what channel you're going to watch, right? Just like other choices. They're just choices. But they give you the feeling of control. But let's look. You didn't produce the TV show, did you? You didn't write the TV show. You didn't conceive of the pilot. You had no control over its content. You had no control who starred in it. You had no control who wrote on it you, or, or wrote the script for it or any aspect of it. See, there's a big difference between control and choice. God feeds the birds, and that's what he and only he can do. Notice birds are busy, aren't they? Birds are busy. But they're doing what God designed them to do. They're gathering. They're eating. They're building nests. They're making uh, more birds. They're flying south for the winter. Now, that's by instinct. 
we don't run by instinct. God gave us a whole different ball game to work with. He said, you get to choose. You get to choose whether you come under my authority or not come under my authority. God's in control, and He allows us to make choices. He empowers us to do our part, the part that we're designed to do. Now, God says this. I'll pick on Pat because, Pat, you're not working right now. God says, I will feed you. I will provide a job for you. You know what your part is? Your part is to show up for work, right? God created the job for you, but you got to do your part. God says, I will transform you. I will make you just like Jesus. What's your part? You choose whether to be in the Word every day. You choose whether you're going to let Him be Lord of your life. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you say, God, I'm in charge today. Thanks. I've got it. I'm in control today. I'll call you if I need you. Or you say, God, you're in control today. I will follow you. Because He said, I will transform you. And then our part then means to be in the Word, to have a a deep abiding relationship with Jesus. God says, I will bless you. And your part then is to choose the path of righteousness. His ways are not. See, God is good. God is loving. God can never do wrong, never do evil. He is not calloused or hard-hearted. Look at the birds, Jesus says. He takes care of the birds, and He will take care of you. You can trust Him. And He partners with us in the choices we make, righteous decisions. I had a chance to meet with Ryan on, on Friday, and, and, you know, when you work on a sermon all week long, it just kind of boils in the back of your brain or uh, simmers back there. And, I remind, and, and uh, Ryan is, is in Proverbs right now. He's going through Proverbs, and, and we get together, and we get to share what God's been speaking to our hearts back and forth. And I remembered Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with what? with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and guess what He's going to do? He's going to make your path straight. See, God's going to do what He only can do, and then He's asked to partner with you. It's not like, hey, I set the world up. Mitch, you're on your own. The sun is rising. The sun is setting. You figure it out. No, He says, Mitch, I want to partner with you. This is my will. You may join me or be against me. You see, now here's where I'm going to get a little touchy. Worrying is a sin. You know what worrying says? God, I don't trust you. And I'm not going to try to figure out how And and I'm going to try to figure out how through my own choices to control or influence my situation. In fact, worry is probably the the most numerous sin us Christians do. We want to take those choices and think that we're in control of the situation when we're never in control. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you're not in control. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are not in control. You can even point your finger. You are not in control. But you know the one who is, and he said, I'm partnering with you to cause all things to work together for good. But it's going to be based, and we'll catch it here in a second at the end of the text, but I don't want to steal the thunder. And then Jesus plays the, uh, the what-if game. 
or can worrying add one moment to your life? Which of you, by being anxious, verse 27, can add a single hour to his span of life? Ileana, do you ever play the what-if game at 3 a.m. in the morning? Good. Glad you don't. Some of us wake up in the middle of the night and we worry. We're about our kids. We're about our finances. We worry about a building that we might get or not get or all that. Instead of saying, Lord, you've got this. You're in control. God will do his part and provide for you. And guess what? We'll be busy bees or busy birds obeying him. Do you remember the song, and I'm going to date myself, so please forgive me, sung by Doris Day, K Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see, K Sarah, Sarah. Okay, how many of you, okay, I'm really talking to a limited audience here. All you young people don't know what that means. Do you know that's a bad worldview? That's not a biblical worldview. That's a fatalistic worldview. Oh, my marriage ended in divorce. I guess it was meant to be. Oh, all those children in Africa and Zimbabwe that used to be the breadbasket of, of Africa, they're all dying. And then we kind of peel back the layers and we find out, no, there were decisions made by men, by human beings that thwarted or tried to thwart the will of God. Not, hey, it's going to be what it's going to be. No, you have a responsibility. God will do what He promised that He and only He can do, but He wants you to be active in that partnership. Decisions and choices affect the outcome of whether marriages stay together or fall apart or whether people are hungry or not. I read a report, I was sharing a Bible study, the world can and does produce, produce enough food to feed the entire population and have surplus. Did you know that? You hear the news, oh, we can't produce enough food. No, but because of wickedness and bad governments and bad people, some people are starving to death and others are having lobster every day of the week. Decisions affect what happens. And then we fall back to that Romans 8.28. But God will cause all things to work together for good, even if I can't see my way out of my worry. Now let's go back to the text. Let's pick it back up at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? I love Jesus. I wondered if he, he wasn't probably being sarcastic, but he's like, why do you guys worry about clothes? And then he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not dressed or arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So he says, look again, look to the master Look to the birds, look to the flowers. Look to the flowers and see God. And then he goes on this, you know, Solomon was clothed, you know, and I was teasing Eloise that she had purple on. That's a color of royalty. Actually, I was teasing Lawrence because now he has to treat 
Eloise like a queen today. Uh, but, but the thing is, is Solomon was decked out like any person could be decked out. And Jesus says, that's nothing compared to the way God clothes the lilies. And aren't you, again, going back to that same argument, aren't you much more valuable than a plant? Yes. And then he, he says, you guys are focused on the temporal. And you gotta, gotta, you got to get this eternal perspective. What you're worrying about today, is it going to matter five years from now? Will it matter 20 years from now? Whatever you're worrying about, is it going to matter 100 years from now? <sighs> Chances are it doesn't. Have you ever heard this phrase, don't sweat the small stuff? How many of you have heard that? Don't sweat the small stuff. And then what's the follow-up? It's all small stuff, right? That's an eternal perspective. It's an eternal perspective. Let's keep on in our text. Therefore, verse 31, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You need them all. They're legitimate needs. But then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things are going to be added unto you. In fact, let's just finish the last verse. Therefore, it's the third therefore of the text. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here's the conclusion of today's message. It's pretty simple. Don't be anxious. And then he says this, I mean, the fill in the blank is, trust him for today. Trust him for today. Let's talk about these busy birds again for just a moment. They're doing things by instinct. But you're to be busy making choices. And you can now see that it fleshes all out because he says, seek righteousness first. If you're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first, that means you're going to be making good decisions. Right? If God's will was for you to go to New York, but he said, Stella, Charles... My will is for you to get to New York, and I'm going to give you the freedom of choice. You can drive there, you can fly there, you can hitchhike there, or you can walk there. What do you want to do? And he, now, that's not a moral issue, is it? That's just, you know, well, you guys are going to hopefully fly. You're not going to walk there, Right? You're going to fly there. You made a choice. God's will is in place. You're going to make a decision towards that. But let's talk about a moral issue. That is, God doesn't want you to steal. Right? And your neighbor has internet and he wants to allow you to use it. And he's going to give you the password because you share a common wall. But your provider has told you you cannot share this with anybody other than your family. What's the way of righteousness? Sorry, dude. You can't have free internet for my internet. Well, that sounds so harsh, but it's the way of righteousness. It just is. When we start cutting corners because we think that we know more, 
we then start causing problems that then cause us to worry, that causes us to then be against God again. And so there's a cycle, and we want to break that cycle, and we want to make decisions, our part in the equation, to pursue righteousness. And then what does he promise? It's a promise. He says, and all these things, what things? Food, clothing, drink, the things you're worrying about on your body will all be added to you. So trust him for today. Trust him by being a good citizen of his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. And then the last therefore, fill in the blank, Trust him about tomorrow. Trust him about tomorrow. You don't have to worry. That that ball and chain is being set free from you. I don't know if you ever kind of play a scenario out in your mind that you've read in Scripture, but you've you've read maybe uh, the narrative on Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. Do you think he slept well that night? Do you think that he just laid down, closed his eyes, found a comfortable rock, maybe picked up some fur that the lion said left behind and just covered himself and just closed his eyes and just slept like a baby? Or do you think he was anxious the whole night looking at those lions that were just salivating at him? But the angel of the Lord closed the mouth of the lion. Would you, now if you were Daniel, would you have slept well? Or would you have stayed awake all night long worried that suddenly the lions were going to overpower the angel? This is, I know this has been a kind of weird little message because it's about worry, but I want to encourage you not to worry. God loves you. He cares for you. And Jesus commands you, don't worry. God's got you. He's got you in the palm of his hand. He's not going to let anything overtake you. And if something tries to, he will cause whatever bad thing you're going through right now, because we go through bad things. Let's not sugarcoat this and say, oh, come to Jesus and all your problems go away. No, you come to Jesus and you might get more problems. But he promises you the eternal perspective. He will cause all things to work together for good. And he's going to get your back. He's going to cover your back. So whatever you're worrying about right now, in that time of communion that we're going to participate in, would you just tell God, God, I'm worrying about this. I'm worrying about this bill. I'm worrying about this, this, this move. I'm worrying about this new job. I'm, I'm worrying about this new school year. I'm worrying about uh, my retirement, where the money is going to come from. I'm worried about this building that we're... Well, anything that starts to creep in. Where you start getting, remember what anxious means, divided. You're not focused on the Lord. You're, you're, you're starting to worry about all these other things. You just give him and say, Lord, I want to lift my burden up to you. I want to lift this worry up to you. And then he's going to take it from you. And now your hands are empty. And now you can hold his peace. You cannot hold his peace Unless your hands are empty of the worry. Let me finish with this quote from Philippians. It's a little further on than what we had, where we had been. But he says this. Finally then, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, 
whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything that has excellence in it, worthy of praise, think about these things. And then Paul says to Timothy, I mean to the Philippians, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you.